microphone on tonight, I want to em- emphasize that the layout of our chairs tonight is not just to have a change, but it is to uh, try and underline that tonight is an open forum and it's not, not a lecture. I think there are some of these modern issues, subjects that we've tackled, that have inevitably needed a great deal of, of input from uh, behind the table and the benefit of research and reading and study and so on. But tonight I'd really like to open it up as much as possible. There are two people specifically that I've asked beforehand to make uh, specific contributions, but there are going to be two particular times during the evening where we're going to throw it open for you to comment, to question, to explore things together, not in any way asking any experts because um, I doubt very much whether any of us are experts, but we want to learn together and see whether there are things that we can um, hear from God together. Now, so the, ch- the subject tonight is children at risk. I'm conscious that this is one of these subjects that is another broad subject. It uh, is possible to look in many directions. And what I'd like to do tonight is to introduce the subject with a kind of uh, bird's eye view, or if you like, I'm going to paint on a very broad canvas and give you an overall view of the kind of different ways in which our boys and girls can be at risk today, not only ours, but other people's as well. And then we're going to look at one particular little part of the canvas, and uh, going to specifically look at the subject of uh, child abuse, i.e. sexual abuse in the family, and obviously linked with that uh, physical cruelty as well. But that is a subject that's very much in the forefront today and uh, I'd like us to really focus in narrowly on that. And I've asked Paul Bedford to make a contribution tonight from his perspective as a social worker and also um, Dorothy. Dorothy Dennis is going to make some contribution as well tonight but I'm trusting that we'll all have something to contribute. I reckon if you pick up any paper on any day you'll find a whole a series of stories about children at risk in a whole variety of ways. I sat down last Friday to do some specific preparation for today and um, one of my colleagues out in the Southwark congregation had given me the previous day's Daily Mail. I say that because I don't get the Daily Mail. I thought I'd just underline that. Um, And I'd wanted to read about the Synod in the Church of England the day before and I hadn't had a a newspaper the day before. So... um, I thought, well, I'm just going to go through this paper today and just see how many stories there are in the paper today about children at risk. Well, the first story, of course, was on the front page, which was part of the Synod debate about gay vicars. And um, one little section in the report talks about um, a rector who was a declared homosexual, used his church for a gay equality exhibition with explicit pamphlets and posters. Homo, gay and lesbian became part of the vocabulary of the playground in the church's junior school. The rector resigned following a conviction for child molesting. He's been appointed to another parish. So that was the front page and that was the first story that involved children at risk. And horror of horrors, that involves the church, or at least it involves those who are perceived to be the church, by the world. Then I flicked over a couple of other pages and I came to the latest in a whole series of uh, features at the moment about the judicial inquiry into uh, the situation in Cleveland in the northeast, where uh, about a hundred or so uh, children had been taken into care because of uh, suspected uh, sexual abuse by their families. And you know the ongoing situation uh, in, in that case. So there is an article on that page about that. Then turn over another couple of pages and we have one that's very much ho- uh, close to home for us in Brighton because we have a report on the so-called Babes in the Wood murder with uh, Nicola Fellows and Karen Hadaway in the trial of Russell Bishop. And so again, another example 
of uh, child children at risk, and that, in that case, a horrific sexual abuse and murder. I turn over the page, and then it, there's a feature on the child kidnap that um, is not a run-of-the-mill story, in that it's a millionaire's daughter, and the, the little girl has been kidnapped, and the father is now being held to ransom, and the threat a couple of days ago was that the girl would start to be starved unless the father paid up. Then there's another story at the bottom of that page. In New York, a boy of six found carrying a loaded pistol in his school, brandishing it. Older pupils hustled him into the headmaster's room where the weapon was confiscated, um, etc. story of a child, obviously, with access to a loaded gun on that case. Um, another article about a book um, in uh, the female section of the Daily Mail. How... No, I'm not, not, not say anything about that. I was going to make a comment about women's pages in, in newspapers, which seems to imply that the rest of the paper's for a man somehow. Anyway, um, the revolutionary book being reviewed here, uh, Are Mothers Really Necessary? by Bob Mullen. And in a highly controversial book published today, Bob Mullen sets out on a one-man crusade to prove that putting mums back in the home is our only likely salvation from a sick society of increasing crime, delinquency and child abuse. It's a novel idea, really, isn't it? <laughs> Putting mums back in the home. Um, and so that, that's a review on that particular book. I turn over the page. Father abused children after custody case. A father who was given custody of his two children after his divorce was jailed for four years yesterday for sexually abusing and ill-treating them. And it's on and on every page. Uh, next page. Father blasted son to death in shotgun game. A drunken father blasted his three-year-old son to death with a sawn-off shotgun a court heard today. And it, it just goes on and on. There are actually one or two other items a little bit later in the paper as well. And I guarantee that if any day you look in your newspaper, you'll, ha you'll find a whole series of them like that. Now... I suspect that some of the tabloids, and perhaps there are papers that are more guilty of that than even the Daily Mail, uh, run themes. And so when there is a particularly um, outlandish child abuse case, for instance, they'll get as many child abuse cases as they can from this country or other countries, and they'll put them all together. That's part of the style and the method of the tabloid newspaper. Uh, but having said that, I guarantee whatever newspaper you look at, in any day, you'll see a whole series of, uh, of uh, examples. And of course, today, tonight, evening, Argus, right in the centre page, we not only have the Moolscum murder trial, but we also have the tragic case at Lewis Crown Court, right at the moment, of little Leon McLean having been uh, 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 killed and uh, this uh, living lover being accused of murder or manslaughter. So it's all around. It really surrounds us. It crowds us in, in every way. Now what I want to do in this kind of painting the broad picture now is to just underline for you the different ways in which or the different contexts in which our children are at risk. Because some of them are highlighted in the newspapers but others would never be highlighted. <laughs> some of them would not be regarded as children at risk. But I want to suggest to you tonight that there are some that we would uh, want to highlight that even the newspapers don't. I'll give you notes in due course, uh, but I'd like just to, to go through these at the moment without you having the notes. Uh, the first area is in the street or in the park. I suppose when you were a, a little boy or you a little girl, there were warnings from mum or dad about that. Um, I can still very vividly remember one day walking along the road as a... I suppose I was about eight or nine, and a man stopping me and saying, Will you t can you tell me where such and such a street is? And I said, yes, you go along there, and it's about Third Street on, along. And he said, oh, I don't know this very area very well. Will you come and show me? So being a sort of nice sort of guy, I said, OK, I'll come along and I'll show you. And as I was walking, I was almost there, he said, how would you like to earn sixpence, little boy? And I ran, because <laughs> my mummy had told me about that kind of thing. Now, we, we tell our children about that, but I suspect that these days um, the situation is heightened, isn't it? Even more so. So much so that we've even got to the 
very sad situation now where if you smile at a little boy or a girl on the street, you suddenly feel like you've molested them. And you might even get you know, weird looks from their parents when actually all you're doing is just being, being kind. So it's awfully sad, isn't it, that in our own context it's, it's come to that. But in the streets or in the parks then, we have risk to children molesting. Um, sadly, cases that we see in the newspapers, rape and murder... Then other ones, like these bomb outrages. And here, in the midst of these bomb outrages, we also have innocent little boys and girls uh, caught up in the blast, caught up in the, the fire that results from the, the uh, terrorists' so-called political um, uh, stand. Um, so, it's a time of anxiety. When your little boy or little girl is late home from school... Half an hour late, you begin to get very agitated, don't you? You want a few answers about where they are. You get really quite cross with them if they've gone off to a friend's and they haven't told you, because you jolly well want to know where they are, because you know the kind of uh, society, unfortunately, that we're, that we're living in. Secondly, uh, and probably most tragically of all, children are at risk not only in the streets and the park, but also in the privacy of the home. This brings us to the subject that in a few, in a, in a matter of about half an hour, we'll focus in more closely the subject of uh, physical and sexual abuse, physical cru- cruelty and sexual abuse in the uh, home. Now, this is a subject, obviously, that's talked about more now than it ever has been in any of our lifetimes. And that's why, for instance... Um, you know, we, we've got all these statistics now about the number of children that are being counselled and have been abused, and adults also pouring out things that have been down deep in there for a lifetime, festering, uh, weighing very heavily, uh, curtailing uh, an ability to relate well to the opposite sex, or perhaps in marriage. And uh, so this is all beginning to come out. And it's healthy that it is now able to come out, but nevertheless it has sharpened the focus on, on this very sad situation. And I don't know how many of you saw Child Watch a few weeks ago, a programme about an hour and a half, Esther Ranson, reviewing one year on the uh, child line that was set up um, for boys and girls to ring in if uh, they needed somebody to talk to if they were being abused in some way or if they just needed to talk to somebody and they felt they couldn't talk to anybody. Tragic that we have to set up something like that. But it was set up. And in the first year, 22,000 children phoned in, most of whom did not leave their full name. They only gave their Christian name. The average age was 10 to 15. Um, Most of the children were in that age group. And 6,000 who were counselled said that they'd been sexually abused. 4,000 said they'd been physic- had physical cruelty. 98% of those who said that they'd had either sexual abuse or physical cruelty, 98% was within the context of their own family. 98%. And the majority of those was by the father. So that is just a horrific picture of the risk to boys and girls, not just in the streets and in the parks, but actually in their own home. They are more likely to be abused in the home than they are in the street or in the park. So that, that is really not a pretty picture and uh, we leave that for the moment and we'll little, look a little bit more at that in a, in a moment. Of course, there is a broader risk to boys and girls in terms of the privacy of the home, just in terms of marriage breakdown itself. Because wherever there is a marriage breakdown and children are involved, the children are at risk. And a report recently by the Families Policy Study Centre coined the phrase for boys and girls in our own setting as this being a generation at risk. That's what they called it, a generation at risk. Because now, in our own country, one in five children are no longer living with both of their parents. That meant that in 1985, 155,000 children were not living with both mum and dad. So that obviously puts them in a very vulnerable position emotionally. It gives them obviously a very warped view of family life and marriage. 
Sometimes it puts them in a context where they have an uncle coming to live or some other live-in person and all the horrendous things that often can uh, come to pass as a result of that. So marriage breakdown also puts uh, children at risk and uh, we cannot emphasise enough the importance of the marriage for the benefit of our children. Uh, We pay first attention to the marriage uh, even before we pay first attention to the children because actually in the end it is the marriage that gives the children what they really need. You give a lot of attention to the children and let your marriage crumble around you and you're not actually serving your children in the end. And of course many, many uh, couples who love their children have uh, just neglected their marriage, let their marriage crumble and so by doing so have not loved their children. Giving attention to the marriage is the first priority for the children's sake. The third area in which children are at risk is in the living room. Now, this may be your own living room, the family living room, or it may be a a friend's living room. And um, again, there are a number of ways in which that's the case. Um, May I identify four? First of all, children's games. Now, of course, there are lots of very good games Uh, Some of us are looking around at the moment to see, are there suitable games to to buy for Christmas? And uh, it's wise to take a very close look at the games, even in W.H. Smith's and reputable places like Gamley's. Have a good, close look at them. And, uh, you know, don't just judge by the box. Sometimes a box may have a very harmless cover, but when you actually read the instructions or the Uh, the idea behind the game, it may not be so lovely after all. Similarly, you might get a kind of dark and sombre cover and you might think, oh, that looks pretty horrific. When you look at it, it might be actually quite innocent. So take care about um, the games that you buy. Now, I'm not an expert on children's games at all. Um, I like the games that we play at home. But um, I did manage to get a copy of this leaflet from the Evangelical Alliance that is, is excellent. It's a leaflet called Danger Children at Play. It's been out for a couple of years now, but uh, it is an excellent publication. And I really commend it to you to read. It not only talks about children's games, but it talks a little bit more widely about one or two aspects that I'll mention in a moment. But also, along with that, I want to recommend, as I know Cliff Haywood recommended from time to time when he was with us, David Porter's book, Children at Risk. This is a must for every parent. How many of you have actually read it? Can I ask that? How many of you have read it? Only one here tonight. Well, please, let me say to you that this is 4.95, but it is an investment. It really is. It is not too much to pay if you're going to be alerted about a whole range of things as far as your children are concerned. And in this book, David Porter looks at things like television, film, home computers, fantasy role-playing games... Uh, do-it-yourself fantasy, sweet shop horror, action on fantasy, sexual abuse, drug abuse, video risks. And it's a very balanced book. It's not a, 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 a shock horror book, uh, nor is it a complacent book. It is a very balanced book from a man who's really done his research and who comes as a committed Christian. And I commend that unreservedly to you. Now, he goes in at some depth to the question of children's games, and especially some fantasy role-playing games. He underlines, and I would want to, to agree with this, that the realm of fantasy is not all unhealthy. Otherwise, we've got to get rid of the Narnia stories. Otherwise, we've got to get rid of Tolkien. Otherwise, we've got to get rid of even John Houghton, bless him, because that's the realm of fantasy. Now, in this book, he commends all those as being good and healthy, and explains why he believes they are. But there are others that are not so healthy. And he explores, um, in some detail, games uh, and the philosophy behind games like Dungeons and Dragons. Now, please, um, we can, you know, if you want to, we can talk a little bit about that in a moment. But that is something that is well worth watching for, because Dungeons and Dragons is a biggie. You look in, again, Gamleys, there's a whole wall full of all the figures that are used, all the great big manuals that are used for the dungeon master in terms of the, uh, the kind of games and the rules that, that are needed for the game. And there are very sinister dimensions 
to Dungeons and Dragons, but not just Dungeons and Dragons, other games like them. But there are others that are maybe quite healthy, and it would be very easy to just throw the lot out um, in a shock horror kind of reaction. But you need to be thinking through the issues. So children's games can be introducing, if we're not careful, our children to the realm of the occult. And that's one of the main dangers of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, not only introducing them in terms of uh, at a distance, but actually involving them in it. Because that's the whole point of role-playing, either games or books. Second area in the living room is the video nasty. Uh, Britain actually has the highest ownership of video cassette recorders in the world. And uh, in our country, horror, movies, explicit sex videos, violent videos are all accessible to children. Even if they can't buy, get them over the counter in the video shop, they're accessible. Um, there, are, there are many, many of our boys and girls in schools who are uh, being deeply affected by, by uh, these horrible videos. And uh, it may be that, Wendy, you could say a little bit about Margaret, Margaret Griffin, and the kind of uh, reaction that she's having to the, the things she sees in, in the school that she's headmistress of. Thirdly, some children's books and comics are giving cause for concern. Uh, David Porter in his book highlights one, and it's uh, featured on the back of this particular leaflet, um, a magazine called Scream. Have any of you seen this magazine in the, or this comic in the shops? And it really is quite sinister, some of the stuff that it's, it's running. I'll leave you to read that story uh, in your own time rather than take the time up now. But uh, not all comics, obviously. There are still the good old Dandy and the Beano and Roy of the Rovers and whatever the good girls ones are. I never read those ones. But um, there are lots of good ones. But um, there are also very sinister trends, not only in terms of comics, but also in terms of uh, children's books, very young children's books. And whereas we were brought up on some of the, the good classical fairy stories and so on, and uh, other stories like that, they're being introduced to macabre things. Now, somebody might say, but look, some of the fairy stories are pretty horrific as well. And I think that is true. There are elements to fairy stories that, you know, we have to be very careful about in terms of what age our children are. But Porter addresses that issue, and I, I think this is a good example of how thorough this man is in his book. He doesn't make glib statements, generalise. He examines every angle. And uh, he, say, he, he, he tackles the accusation of scaremongering and the uh, claim that fairy stories are horrific. And he, he, he makes certain points about the differences between the horror stories that our very young children are being presented with, both in print and now on children's television, and fairy stories with these kind of comments. He says, The old fairy stories were not often about the occult or about evil for its own sake. Yes, some of them were frightening, and according to our children, we might have to wait before a particular child could enjoy a particular story. You had to use your discretion. But um, the distress and horror in, um, in those books is treated as distressing and horrible. But very often in the stories that we're being presented with now, that is not the case. Secondly, he says um, in the Scream magazine... Um, it positively wallows in death and horror. Now, that again is, is something that's very different from the traditional fairy story. Thirdly, another difference is that the traditional story introduced evil as an intrusion into the ordinary world. Whereas very often the new, the new stories that are coming f through are showing a very warped world where that is much more the norm. And then fourthly, um, and this is, I think, one of the most disturbing things, and it comes out in that story on the back of that leaflet. Uh, the old fairy stories, children related to adults and especially parents in predictable ways. Some of the most horrific stories in children's comics like Scream these days are twisting um, relationships to parents. So it actually turns out that the parent is the ghost. The parent is the horrible skeleton. The parent is the horrible witch. All the time you've been thinking that your mother is somebody you have security in and who loves you. And then suddenly you go to her room and you find all sorts of artefacts showing she's a witch. 
And then she's at your window and she's after you. I mean, this, this is the kind of stuff that um, is very, very different indeed from the old style uh, story that may have had the, uh, the, the person who was evil in it, but very, very different kind of ethos altogether. Fourthly, in the living room, what I call the drip-drip effect, which is often much more damaging, the drip-drip effect of humanistic sec- secular humanistic values on television, uh, in children's magazines, maybe in, in young girls' magazines, for instance, um, in advertising, in the kind of heroes that our children have from very early days, heroes who very often have bizarre lifestyles and ideas. I was reading recently one man arguing that nowadays it is not our teenagers who are the main target for the advertisers and those who are into marketing, because many of our teenagers are unemployed now. Many of our teenagers are finding it very difficult to pay their rent or whatever. The main target now is not the teenager, but the small child. Because however difficult things are at home, the, 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 the parents will always make enough, put enough aside for, for the, the little ones. And at Christmas, the kind of lavish gifts that are given um, means that the advertisers will go out all for, for that particular uh, age group. So in the living room, the, 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 there are risks of different kinds, and you can see some of those would not be in uh, the Daily Mail, featured alongside the other uh, aspects of risk. Fourthly, on the school campus, our children are at risk. For instance, in the classroom. Now this obviously varies from school to school, and may even uh, vary from area to area. It would be particularly true of the inner London uh, educational area where a whole range of Christian values are being undermined as a deliberate policy. And not only Christian values being undermined, but extreme left-wing and right-wing political and socio-political views are being propagated. And children in the classroom are being used as fodder for that. And uh, it's done in a whole range of ways, sometimes through literature, but in in a whole series of uh, lessons, social sciences, history... Uh, the arts, sex education, obviously a religious education as well. Some of the books that our teachers are asked to teach from in English literature nowadays causes terrific moral dilemmas for Christians. More and more of the books that are now in the syllabus are very, very modern books indeed. And so something of the flavour of our modern society with its values can often be very much part of the, the school syllabus. Not only in the school uh, classroom, but also obviously in the school in the schoolyard, uh, or whatever the, uh, the the playground context is, and uh, you've got the traditional one of bullying. Uh, we all had that as kids. There were the bully boys and girls, and there were the gangs, and there were the pawn shops and feeling threatened. That that's the, the the same nowadays in many schools. Some more than others. In some, there is a tighter reign of discipline than others. But um, in my school days, I don't remember having to deal with uh, the whole question of drugs in the schoolyard. And uh, obviously things like glue sniffing, but other drugs that, um, that are now being uh, uh, passed around, particularly in secondary schools, the school gates. And also the question of the occult. That wasn't something that was... Uh, by any means a, a vivid issue when I was a, a schoolboy, but the realm of the occult more and more is there with peer pressure to experiment and, uh, and so on. Well, incidentally on that, um, from the same stable as the leaflet I've given you, I just got this the other day, too late to get any copies of it, EA have published a, a, ma- a pamphlet called Doorways to Danger about children and the occult. And it's a very, very... A uh, good one. There's a general article on uh, on playing with disaster here, and just a general article about getting involved with the occult and how dangerous it is. Then there's one on astrology and horoscopes. Then there's a page on Halloween, and then um, another one about particularly about Ouija boards. But all the time looking at positive things to do, as that particular leaflet on danger children at play did. All, all the time, looking for positive things to do, positive contact with schools, how to safeguard our, our children, 
um, what the Bible has to say. Very helpful leaflet indeed, available from uh, the Evangelical Lines. That's 35 pence. Um, so very helpful. They're useful to have in a few numbers. I've got spares, incidentally, of uh, the one on games and books. And if you want some extra copies to give away to, uh, you know, to those in the, in the playground that you meet when you're waiting for your children and you get chatting and say, look, I've, this is interesting, do you want to read it? Um, so Neighbours and so on, please, they're here to use. I'd rather you use them than they sat on my, on my shelf. Now, there's the broad canvas. Now, what I'd like to do, without specifically thinking about child sexual abuse at the moment, I'd like you just to save that one for the moment, um, are there any things that now you want to add, to comment on, about that whole wide range of things? Um, I did ask Wendy if you would just comment, if, if you're able, just on Margaret, uh, Margaret's perspective on that video business and the damage there. Margaret Griffin is Amanda Walker's mother. Mm. Um, she is the headmistress of a comprehensive school in Gillingham, Kent. And she's a quite remarkable lady. She uh, got the headship and started the job last May. And uh, she took over a school that had become very, very run down, gained a very bad reputation, discipline, and so forth. And so she went in rather as a new broom, sweeping clean, and has had a very uphill job trying to re-establish discipline and post-conduct, and also to reinstate assembly um, and to bring some definite Christian content into the school. She had the backing of her staff, um, but uh, they were pretty dubious about how the children would take this, but she ploughed on, and for a while she felt very encouraged because um, she could hear the children singing snatches of down songs in the playground and so forth. <laughs> she used down's tape to um, just have a bit of music at the beginning of the assembly. But um, recently I rang her to ask her four items for prayer and to ask how she was getting on. She said, I feel physically battered today. She said, not that anybody actually hit her, but she'd had such a tough time, such a pressured time that she felt just emotionally, mentally and physically weak and battered. Mm. Um, one particular morning, one of the upper six-form boys, who's supposed to be one of the more responsible ones, had tampered with the wiring and put out of function her PA system deliberately to stop her using the dance worship tape. And when she confronted him with this, she got the answer, Miss, I can't stand your music. And after a bit of conversation, she realised it wasn't just he didn't like the songs or the styles, but it was the, the actual content, something within him, was so provoked by this definite Christian content. And she has become more and more aware of the hostility emanating from, me, from many of the pupils because of dabbling with occult things, playing around with Ouija boards and so forth. But not only that, she's been very concerned lately with the 13-year-olds, 13-year-old boys, who she found some of them were just, they seem not to be able to put a coherent, two coherent thoughts together. They're behaving like zombies, they were um, inattention, lack of concentration in, in their lessons, and it was more than the, the usual. And the teachers are very concerned. And then she had parents coming into her study, and she said, literally this week, I had parents weeping in my study, saying, we can't get through to our children. And some of them were having nightmares, and some of them she feared for their, their mental stability. And it transpires that these kids have been going to stay with each other, um, and their parents have been away overnight, they've had friends to stay, and they have borrowed videos from shops and watch the most horrific things that have got real a real hold upon their minds to such an extent it had disturbed the balance of their minds. She found this was so um, frightening that she, she told me that she was getting together the, the governors to have a meeting of the board of governors to discuss um, where they got these things from, how they could stop these videos, how they could warn the children. But she said, I've also been in touch with other headmistresses and masters from other schools and this is not just my school, she said, this is prevalent uh, throughout the country. And she said, my school is in a nice so-called area. This is a fairly well-to-do area, it's not a deprived area. 
Uh, it's not as if these children are particularly wondered and thought at, at risk um, in, say, poverty or unemployment. But uh, they are just as vulnerable to this sort of threat as any others. So she was really feeling very, very concerned about this. And I must say that, um, that she, it really provoked my concern too, because um, I know we go to video shops locally, um, and we're careful to pick which ones, but um, it's easy for children to pick up videos. In fact, I would like to ask John, do you know the legal limit, the legal age, when children can get videos out? Because I'm concerned that one of my sons, for example, I heard he'd gone to a friend's house and they yeah. watched, as it happens, a harmless video that I thought he could have got out of a really bad one. Well, there's ratings on them, isn't there? Well, a 12-year-old would be able to get a, a, a U or a PG out, but they would not be able to get a 15-rated film out or an 18. The father can get them out, and that's when they're accessible, if the father's got them out and leaves them lying around. But the children should not be able to get them over the counter uh, if they're 15-rated or 18-rated films. And most of the, obviously, the horror ones are 18-rated. Some are 15 but a child should not be able to get them over the counter. No, just one wonders about the integrity of some of these shop owners. Yes. But also, of course, older brothers. Yes, I think they're the kind of areas where they, they, they're accessible. Sorry, was somebody else going to comment there? Ian. What advice would you... Um, give to anybody who's living in digs mm -hmm. and the, the landlord that they're living with happens to be um, homosexual. Ian, can I, can I suggest that that's a subject for another occasion, perhaps for us to talk about on another occasion, because it's not particularly the subject that we're approaching tonight about children at risk in, in, the, in the context that we've got. Can I suggest that we leave that for the moment? It's too big a subject and a specialist subject for us to deal with tonight. We'll follow that one up personally, okay? I think that would be better for the moment. We'll just stick with our subject of boys and girls, okay? And the way that they're at risk and the ways we've outlined tonight. John, Thanks, Ian. Sort of, um, I wonder what we would say to our youngsters. How would we advise them to handle a situation if they were at a friend's house or a group of them <coughs> together, and they put a video on, right. and they suddenly realise that it's something. How would we, I mean, right. what would be our corporate way that we could Good. come up with arming them, how they handle that situation without coming over Good. either holier than thou Good. or being in the fear of losing their friends? I mean, they're their friends, aren't they? That's good. Any comments on that? That would be really helpful if we can just share together on that kind of level. Because we don't want tonight just to be a negative evening of listing all the, the dangers. We want to try and think positively, and towards the end particularly, I want to, to get us to do that. Any comments on that particular one? But if you know your parents, you know the children, you get to know the parents, and then you discuss with the parents. I know it's not possible. Well, I think you can at that level, but I was thinking if they were sort of caught unawares, because I think this is often what happens, yes. is that our kids... You know, which we're grateful for, are confident, easygoing youngsters on the whole, and can find themselves in situations of exposure. And, and kids are daredevils too. Yeah. They have a bit of a thrill, don't they? And yeah. Sometimes they don't learn how much of a thrill. And then they find it's gone beyond, or whatever. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know really quite how to answer. Anybody want to know. make any contribution here? Just seen the covers. <laughs> yeah. Right.
I think there comes a time with particularly teenagers where they'll be obsessed with a lot yeah. of things. But um, it doesn't mean they'll be hooked on them for the rest of their life. The more the parents tend to ban them, the more they will go I think this is one of the things we want to ask tonight, and it's the kind of thing that Dorothy's searching for now and just asking how do we positively help our, our kids when they're faced with a situation like that because we don't want to put them in that, in that position where they're going to just react against their parents if we take such a stand. Um, at the same time, I mean, obviously as, as wise parents, we want to... Uh, avoid, if at all possible, our kids having to be infected, even for a short time, with that kind of stuff. We praise God when our kids do come through a phase, if they go through a phase like that, but sadly some are affected very deeply. Now, if we can safeguard them from that by wise parent parenting, um, all to the good. But I'd, I'll certainly take your point. They can react very badly. I mean, I... If I was a teenager and knew that my parents were dead against something, it would be more likely for me to to want to have a dabble at it, I'm, I'm afraid. That's right. I take your point. Very, very, very good point indeed. Can, can we just... Dorothy asked a specific one there about this business of our kids are in that position. How do we help them? Um, I think one of the things that is important, and it doesn't solve that one completely... But it is important that we know who our children's friends are. And I think it would be, well, I don't know what age your children are, but obviously some teenagers, 13, 15, But yes, yeah, I think... And I, th- and I think it would, I don't know, I mean, my oldest is only six, but I, it's, I find it hard to imagine that you wouldn't know they were going to a house where there weren't... If right. <coughs> yes. Where the sort of where the lines of communication were broken sure. so badly, you didn't know that they were going to a house where there were just sure. other 15, 15 year olds there for the weekend or something. I don't think I was thinking of that so much. I was thinking more in the situation where perhaps your youngster on a Saturday goes to their friend's house. Now, you know they're going there, you know the family. But mum and dad say, oh, we're going out, you can put the video on. And there they are mm. in that situation. Mm. Now, you... You won't know, you know, and they may find themselves in a situation. I, I think some children, you know, my own children were growing up, you know, but um, I think they just didn't like it, and perhaps mm. closed their eyes to it, but didn't make any sort of, you know, sort of thing about them not liking it, and then just didn't go... Yeah. ...nice to watch, because I like to do yeah. and, but, but I find the attitude of the, the adults to each other on that... Right. And to the sort of over-dramatic, sort of yes. the very grim bits of disasters and things. Yeah. Just awful. I mean, I switched off because they sure. were sort of being affected by it. Right. Yes. Can we guard our children every single day? No, no, I'm doing what we can. No. I've just become a Christian. Excellent. and I'll, I'll think we'll leave for coffee then and then focus particularly on child abuse after coffee. One of the things that Chris uh, Wisdom was saying to me today is that um, the news as it is today uh, presents us with a situation where quite frankly we cannot take all the weight uh, of all these needs and horrors and things all over the world in our, we can't take it. Nobody's made to take it all. Do you know, the, if we take seriously the news, the, all the issues that we're hearing about all over the world, I mean, you, you just, it's Im, impossible to bear it all. I mean, as adults, we find a great weight, don't we, to actually bear the weight of it all. If you think about the implications of all these stories you're hearing. Now, that's the kind of thing that we we'll want to protect our children from all the more. And the, the horrific kind of uh, scenes that they're being presented with. Obviously, reality, we don't want to shield them from reality. But um, there's a, they're in a very vulnerable stage, and we need to protect and prepare, which is, is Porter's point. Right, we'll stop. Cup of coffee.
work at about 7.30 because I had to remove three teenage girls on place of safety orders because they were um, in very difficult and risky situations at home. And um, it just brought up to me uh, just how relevant at this time this subject is once again. <clears throat> Nevertheless, it's a difficult subject to stomach. I find that... Um, the whole area of child abuse, particularly sexual abuse, gets you in the guts um, to work with it. It's dirty, it's horrible. And it's something which uh, our Christian minds um, sometimes, usually don't have to contend with. And to actually receive information about sexual abuse uh, can leave your imagination wandering. You're thrown into a, a, a pattern of thought which you wouldn't otherwise uh, even consider the kind of relationships and dynamics that go on. So I want to be faithful, really, to Scripture in what I say, even on this subject. And um, in Ephesians 5 and verse 3, um, Paul uh, says that uh, he didn't want any immorality named among uh, the saints. And... um, so although we're not talking and rubbing our hands over immorality and, and being gleeful about it, I nevertheless don't want to go into great detail about the type of things that go on um, in these families and outside of the families. However, <clears throat> I still want to give you information and lots of it. Uh, right, I want to start with a diagram about basic children's needs. I don't know if you can see that. Can anybody see that? <laughs> if I can. Yeah, I don't like that great big gap there. <laughs> no, it's not. Can I? I'll hand these out. So if you want to scribble things on this, you can. Sorry, I'm a bit dilatory in that. Just about. Right, I'm going to continue because time is short. What we have here is the normal child and the normal child's needs. So I'm going to go through this very quickly. Um, The nature of children is that they are very dependent on adults. They are essentially trusting of adults. In some respects, they're innocent. (laughs) And they are also fallen. They are also not Christians. They come into this world um, as Adam's children, (laughs) um, in every sense of the word. Uh, And within all all of us, as we know, um, we're made up of the physical, the emotional the spiritual and also the sexual, that, that's what our beings consist of. And I don't know if anyone has heard of the, uh, the, um, the analyst called Maslow, but he uh, taught that a child's needs um, go upwards in, in a kind of pyramid style. Now, I've reversed this pyramid. What Maslow said was that the the fat end of the pyramid started here and went to a point somewhere here. And um, he said that uh, unless the basic physical needs of of the child, uh, that is for uh, food and shelter and security, those type of areas, warmth, clothing, um, and uh, hygiene is another important one, Uh, unless those are met, the child will not go on to uh, find a fulfilment 
in things like um, education, uh, warm emotional relationships, and um, and the higher needs. And of Maslow's theory was all about um, uh, self-actualization, that um, somehow the human race and human beings could self-actualize and become satisfied people without God. I don't believe in that either. But um, so the basic uh, concept that I'm trying to get across here is that uh, the basic um, child is going to have at his very heart uh, a spiritual need and going on to an emotional and sexual need and a a physical need. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me about the sexual need. I'm not um, a a full-blown Freudian person who thinks a child has hidden sexual needs from the from the beginning um, but he has a need to develop a, a consistent sexual identity each child needs to know that they're a man or a woman or that they're a boy or a girl and not to be confused about that fact sorry I've got my back to you um, I don't know where to stand really because I'm confined by the cord <clears throat> now if all these needs are met, the, the spiritual uh, and sexual and emotional needs are, are met, if little Johnny doesn't get a hot meal more than twice a week, he's not going to be too harmed by that. Um, and so that's why the physical needs I've put at the, the, the narrow end of the needs of the child. Now, the parents down here, let me move that up. The nature of parents, as I see it, is that that they are wise in comparison to children. They are the people who are meant to provide for children. They are sexually mature. They should know that they're men or they're women and, who th- and, and that they're attracted to the opposite sex in a, in a relationship which includes a, 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 a marital covenant and they are also godly. In God's order, parents are meant to be saved, even if their children aren't. Now, what I want to do over the top of that is superimpose how children get abused and to show you in which areas they are abused and which areas are most devastating to them. So, let's look at this. I'm going to rush through these, but under the f- under the physical areas of abuse, we have two categories, as in all of them. The neglect aspect. Thank you. I remember that by the time I was 11, and I was going to big school again, it was the thing that Paul talked about, you mustn't tell anybody. It's our secret. Um, I suppose it was a typical environment for such a thing to happen, in that apparently I was an unwanted child, and so really had a very poor image, and my mother never denied the fact that that I was an unwanted child, so any attention that I had from my dad, even if it wasn't quite right, was attention. But, you know, I didn't have any concept of it being wrong. As a child, I never never knew any different. It wasn't nice, in a way, but in another way, it was better than nothing. And, as I say, this just went on for years and years and years, and it was a repeated pattern. Now, the exciting thing that I feel is so tremendous was that at the age of 15, my mother was a sick woman and she was in and out of hospital, um, I came into contact with a a local church, heard the gospel, and became born again. And although no one, I never told anybody about what happened in our family, I went home and I knew that this had to stop. Now, nobody had counselled me, I'd never shared it. In fact, it was years and years after that that I could ever speak about it. But the exciting thing is that when my dad made an advance to me, I can remember shouting out and calling out on 
to God to keep him off. And I hit him. I said, oh God, help me to hit him. And I hit him hard and I ran out of the house. And do you know, from that day, he never made any more advances. I think that is, with hindsight, I see the miracle of that. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. I see that God knew. And I went back home. I mean, I suspect now that all it did was move along the family. I don't think that that in one way solved the problem. But nothing ever happened. I never said anything to anybody. It was in the past. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I got baptised. I went on with God. was very lonely, still terribly lonely, really. Didn't know how to make friends viewed everybody with suspicion really couldn't trust anybody exactly but Jesus loved me and that was really it was Jesus and me really and that's how I jogged along well I went along fine until I met Ron and we sort of started to go out together and we were talking about getting married and I just began to have these horrific nightmares now I the past was gone I was a new creature in Christ Jesus I never ever thought about it but I had these horrific nightmares, night after night after night. And I can Ron said to me, well, who could be seeking? I said, oh, man, these terrible nightmares. And he just said to me, well, ask the Lord to show you what's troubling you because he wants to deal with it. Well, we went to breaking the bread service on this Sunday morning, and as I bowed my head to break bread, I knew I had to tell him. Now, I had never put those things together, and I think somebody like Paul, hearing this with hindsight, could see the pattern but this was just the Lord in that situation. But I was terrible because I really, I sort of thought, well, if I tell him, he will reject me too. And I couldn't really believe that anybody would want anything to do with me. And um, so at the end of that morning service, I knew I had to do what God said, but um, I really wasn't quite ready. So I said to him, Tonight, I've got something to tell you. I made up my mind we'd have that last day together. It was a terrible day. It was awful. I was irritable and uptight. And by about nine o'clock in the evening, he said, for goodness sake, what is the matter with you? Nothing can be as bad as that. And then I did. I just managed to blurt out what it was. And I said, you know about my nightmares. God has shown me what it is and... This is what it is. And he was the first person I'd ever, ever told. And in flood tears, I just walked away. I just said, well, that's it then, isn't it? I felt sure that he couldn't marry me. And he said, what do you mean that's it? <laughs> he was and he said, God will help you. He said, let's ask the Lord what he has to say about it. Now, bearing in mind that I was a new Christian, and for a number of years, and when I, my father opposed my faith and I was locked in at home and not allowed to go to church for a quite a long time and I didn't know the Bible very well we began to pray and God spoke to me and he said read Isaiah 44 7 which says God has taken away the filth from the daughters of Zion and has made them clean and it was just like a whole I just was clean and God made me whole and he said right that's it so we set the date for our wedding and we got married. But it wasn't as easy as that. We've had struggles, we've had to pray, I've had to work through things. But the biggest battle really came a few years ago when God dealt with a lot of things that were locked up in my spirit just previous to the time when Wimber came for the first time. First of all, um, my mother had died when I was quite just newly married and I couldn't cry for her because how do you cry for somebody who say they've never loved you? And yet I desperately loved her. I tried all my life to gain her approval. And God had to heal me of those things. But then came the day when he said to me, you must forgive your dad. How do I forgive my dad? He had taken so much from me, really. Um, But... And then I thought I can't, I didn't know how I could handle it, and I just sort of said, well, Lord, how? And I just, God showed me that I had to sit down, that the best way I could handle it was to sit down, and I had to write down, Dad, I forgive you. And I wrote four pages of one-line sentences of areas where the Holy Spirit showed me that by that he had robbed me, 
And by God's grace, I released him of that. And in releasing him, God set me free. And then I had to forgive my mum because she obviously knew what was going on but made no move to protect. But, and it was in that thing that God just made me whole. So sexual abuse is terrible. It does go on. But Jesus can make us whole. Mm. Thank you.